let's dig into the Word of God because more than PowerPoint, we have a God and Father who is able to point to his Son and say, look at my Son. And he is the Word, not Microsoft. He is the true Word, the living Word. He's the one that feeds us. He's the bread of life. And we worship him and honor him this morning. We are continuing in the book of Romans. And I don't know about you, but I am loving this series. As you know, this is the first time I've preached entirely through Romans. And it has been such a blessing to my own personal life. And I trust that some of it has rubbed off on you and you have also been benefiting from this. So we're into chapter 11. A wonderful chapter. In some ways a difficult chapter by the fact that what is Paul inferring? What is he talking about here? What's he referencing? What's behind it? Of course, we've always said, almost every message here, that the church that was in Rome was very much like MCC. So we should be able to identify, except for the fact that we're all Gentiles, or pretty much. And so in that, we really don't understand what the fabric was of the Roman church. But in this chapter, Paul is addressing specifically the Gentile believers about the Jewish believers that are in their midst and the the history that we are resting on as believers in Jesus Christ. All of us, Jew and Gentile. And so we talk about the wild olive branch and the rich olive root. I'm going to uh, skim through the first part of this chapter with an introduction in the first 16 verses. This is going to be like a biblical biology or botany class. We're going to learn a little uh, bit about grafting this morning. Not uh, graphene, grafting. Our textbook was written by Paul, a true Jew, but the apostle or missionary or the sent one to the Gentiles. And so he knows both worlds. He has his feet in both the Jewish traditions as well as a heart for the Gentiles. Peculiar that a man like this should be the herald, the forerunner, the John the Baptist type to spread the gospel throughout the world. God is amazing in the way he chooses his servants. God is amazing in the way he has chosen you and brought you into his kingdom to be part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. So we are moving into grafting learning how to graft in a new branch. We'll do that in a few minutes. 
We're going to look at the kindness and severity of God. And then the regrafting. Sometimes there has to be a new grafting. And then we'll conclude with the latter part of the uh, chapter. I'm just going to skim through the uh, introduction in these first uh, verses. Paul starts out in verses 1 to 6, explaining that God has not rejected his people Israel. And I'm going to say right out front here, and I hope it's not going to be a negative tone that I set for this, but many people, brothers and sisters in Christ, have bought into the idea of replacement theology, that Israel has been replaced by the church. And Israel as a nation is not the Israel that God had chosen. I don't buy that. And I don't see how anyone moving through Romans chapter 11 can adhere to that theology and that concept. God has not forsaken his people, Israel. And as I said last week, if you ever have a doubt about your own salvation or redemption and God holding you in his hand, think of Israel, not as ancient Israel, Israel today, as a nation among nations. This is God's faithfulness to his covenant, his promise that he has not broken. And so we can take joy and encouragement in our own lives when you feel, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. How could a follower of Jesus have done what I just did? There's redemption in Jesus Christ. He has not rejected Israel. He will not reject us. When we come in faith and belief in him, he receives us in the name of Jesus. That we can hold on to with great assurance. God has not rejected his people. Paul uses in verses 3 and 4, Elijah cries out when uh, the uh, prophets of Baal and Elijah had a contest. And he cries out, Lord, they have killed your prophets. I alone am left. First Kings 19, he cries that out. But God answers, I have kept 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So what do you mean, Elijah? You're the only one. No, I have 7,000. Strong, 7,000 strong, who have not bowed. Verses 5 and 6, So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. This is Paul's main theme, that there is a remnant. I think I shared this with you before, but I'll share it again. A couple of years ago, I was meeting with a, actually an Egyptian believer, and uh, he was asking about Japan. And I said, well, we have basically the church in Japan is about, still after many, many years of evangelism, 
good evangelism, strong evangelism throughout the nation is only less than half of a 1% of the population and hasn't really grown that much. And I said, we as missionaries and pastors, this is a, a discouraging fact to us. It's thrown at our face constantly. But this Egyptian brother said, no, no. How long has the less than half of 1% statistic been around? How long has that gone on? I said, well, probably for 100 years, 200 years in Japan. There is not a significant population of Christians in that nation. And it has risen to be a modern nation and we still have not been able to evangelize that nation. And my brother said, wow, that, that is something you can hang on to with joy and understanding that God has a heart for Japan. I said, what do you mean? He says, the remnant, the remnant. That half of 1% represents God's trust for this nation. I had never looked at it that way before. That's an incredible encouragement to us that God has his people. Small as they may be, he has his people. And he is faithful to those who will call on his name. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Paul has said this over and over again in Romans. It's by grace. It's by faith. It's not by sight. It's not by works. That he pounds and pounds and pounds on that theme throughout his gospel. Yes, it is a gospel. The gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ to the Romans. Verses 7 to 10. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect, chosen, obtained it, but the rest were hardened. What is this, the elect, the chosen? Who is it referring to? This refers to the Jews who received the gospel while the others' hearts were hardened by their unbelief. And so Paul is taking courage in talking about the fact that Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. But the elect, there were some, a remnant, that were saved, but the rest were hardened. And I'm sorry to say, the, the country, the society of Israel is just like any other nation, lost. And they need a savior. And he will show himself to those people. Verses 8 to 10, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, like they were drunk, didn't have any sense, eyes to not see and ears to not hear. Did God put that on them? No. Their disobedience, their lack of faith, the direct result of that was stupor, blindness, deafness. Let their eyes be darkened to see not. What a judgment on a people who should be leading the world in world evangelism. We hear reports, good reports, 
of things that are coming out of Israel today. Of people who are meeting together, Jews and Gentiles, Palestinians, Israelis, together in Jerusalem and other cities of that nation, coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Messianic Jews, they call them. Those who believe that the Messiah is coming and that the Messiah is Jesus Christ. I'm looking to that day when I can visit that land. But I have to stay in Japan. <laughs> Verses 11 to 16 then. Through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous and their failure is riches for the Gentiles. How much more will their fulfillment be? Paul was looking for that fulfillment of Israel to their Messiah. He did not believe that they were replaced by the church. Verse 15, For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That is God's plan and purpose, not just to write off Israel, but to use them kind of in a reverse kind of way to encourage us that he has an overall plan and it includes our brothers and sisters of Israel. Or if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be? but life from the dead. Or if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. And this is taken from Numbers 15:20. Katie and I talked about this, tried to figure out, okay, Paul, what are you saying? You know, I can really relate to Paul. Katie and I often, uh, as we're talking, I'll say something that, is deep down inside my brain, which I haven't really communicated in full sentences, but there is something in there. And it comes out, and Katie says, what are you talking about? I said, well, I just said it. But there was a whole paragraph in there that didn't get out through my mouth. But I'm thinking, yeah, I I was talking about that. Well, you did not say that. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. And Paul's saying here, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. Wait a minute now, that verse just kind of does not fit there. Has anybody read through this chapter and you wondered, what is he talking about? In Numbers 15, 20, as all good Jews know, and all good Christians who read the Old Testament, praise the Lord for Makikosan and her Old Testament survey class here. We appreciate her very very much. It is probably the one of the most important classes that are taught in this church. If you don't come to Sunday service, at least make it to the Old Testament survey. Because as we studied last week, it all points to the Savior. No, I, I'd like you to stay and hear my messages. But, but anyway, we'll, um, we'll continue to promote Makiko's class. Numbers 15 talks about the meal offering. 
And as they put the flour and the oil together, they took out a lump of that and set it aside as an offering to the Lord. It was like our prayer that we pray before our meal. It was an offering to him that all things come from him. It's like what we do in Japan. Remember I talked about itadakimasu, which means receiving from above. It's this meal offering where the lump sanctifies the meal. And then Paul jumps into another illustration here that he carries on through the rest of the chapter. If the root is holy, the branches are too. What root is he talking about? I should give you a little quiz. However, I'll tell you a little Sunday school story. The teacher is teaching a lesson. And this, who is the lamb? Jesus, the children answer. Well, who is the one who loves us? Jesus. Well, who is the one that's going to give you cookies right now? Jesus. All the answers come as Jesus. Kids catch on real fast. But who is the root that Paul is referring to here? Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. It's Israel and their faith. It's the faith of the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the root. So get that in your mind now when we look at olive trees. Olive trees are an incredible symbol of the longevity and the history and the plans even that God has for Israel. In fact, the olive tree is the symbol of Israel itself. They're not the tree, but from them was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the root that's deep down in the soil and draws from it life. Even though on the surface, you look at some of that soil, it's dry, it's rocky, it doesn't look like good Washington State Northwest soil. It is, how could anything grow there? We'll see later on just in a few slides here what the olive tree is capable of doing and being. Paul is talking about olive trees in the rest of this chapter. Olive trees have been a symbol of of God's ancient people and his covenant all the way from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Olive trees are seen in Israel dating back thousands of years. In fact, I found one on the internet this past week that they claim is 5,000 years old. Do you know where it's located? What town do you think it's in? It's found in Bethlehem. They claim it's four to 5,000 years old. David was there when that tree was growing up. And that tree is still there. Incredible. God gives us a symbol of his longevity, his promise, his keeping power all these centuries upon centuries upon centuries. Where did Jesus spend his last night? In a garden. 
the Mount of Olives. Let's get into our passage now. But if some of the branches were cut off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches are broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So Paul's really deep into this whole thing now of grafting. Like all living things, olive trees suffer the effects of weather, disease, destruction from a variety of things like men and animals. And maintaining the productivity of olive trees requires grafting. At least that's a, a, a good way in which to allow the, the tree to continue to produce olives. This process is done with careful planning and care. I'm going to show you just a, uh, a clip here. This is the kind of grafting that they would have used in the old days. This is an olive tree. He is uh, cutting off the stem of these branches that he wants to graft in there. These are twigs that he has carefully chosen that have buds on them. They're living, they're vital. All they need is the power of the root to push up all the nutrients and everything up into that tree, into those grafted-in branches. This is a picture of us and a picture of the faith in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See how they wrap the uh, tape around it? And they put the uh, shield on it so that it doesn't get burned up in the sun allows it to begin to draw the nutrients out of the, the trunk and the root. That's a picture of us. How we're tightly wrapped in Christ. We're grafted in. And you see that this isn't just uh, once in a while. It's what they're doing in this whole grove of olive trees. In order to continue the the vibrance of the of the plant and the, the root. It's the fruit, the, the olives. You feel like that sometimes? Somebody's taking a knife to you. God's grafted us in. Careful grafting. In the verses uh, 17 to 21. Israel was broken off. Gentiles were grafted in. The wild olive shoot is grafted into Israel's root. Their faith in those who were faithful, the remnant who carried on the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we also adhere to 
and believe. We share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, in their faith. So we shouldn't be arrogant. Remember, we don't support the root. The root supports us. Don't be proud, but fear or honor God the Father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he has a plan for your life and for your future. Note that then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree. Praise the Lord. Then the kindness and severity of God, severity of God, his people, his kindness to those outside Israel. Learn from Israel's history. And even they, God has power to graft them in. And there are many now who call themselves Messianic Jews, recognizing Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And if we, the Gentiles, can be grafted in, we're saved, how much more the natural branches can be grafted back into their own olive tree? Wow. Tremendous. Lest we be wise in our own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is the fullness of the Gentiles. What is happening in world evangelism today is the fullness of the Gentiles. Until that is full, and all those Gentiles that will follow Jesus Christ and will adhere to the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is waiting for that, patiently waiting. We think, Lord, come. The world's in a mess. Well, it's going to get messier. But the promise is true. Look at those trees. Look at his faithfulness. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, been reaped. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That doesn't mean all of Israel will be saved, but all that are to be saved will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away, take away, take away their sin. Where does that word come from? Those that were here last year as we went through the Old Testament? Take away. What picture is in your mind of the priest once a year laying his hands on that one goat 
and confessing the sins of Israel and then taking another goat and slaughtering it, killing it, shedding its blood. And a priest leads the live goat away, taking away the sins of Israel. Incredible picture. Incredible picture. When I take away their sins, regrafting, verses 25 to 27, God has power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature an olive, wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? They are enemies of the gospel, but are beloved for the sake of the fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved but for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. By the way, don't pull verse 29 out of context. You hear that many, many times. That is in the context of Israel and not some gift that I have and I've lost it. No, that is a fake promise if you apply it that way. That is out of context. And I've heard many say that, quote that, and they've pulled it completely out of context. Be careful. Be careful as you handle God's word that you don't take it out of context. That verse remains there. Now, there are some promises that we can borrow. A Jewish friend of mine once said, hey, fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, I hear you sharing some of the promises that are given to Israel. You, you may use them for a while. Go ahead and use them. But when you're done with them, put them back because they belong to us. Israel. You understand? You understand what Paul is trying to say here in this chapter 11? We have to see the whole picture. We can't just see it through binoculars or a telescope. We have to see it in the context of what it's written. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, So they too have now been disobedient in order that by mercy shown to you, they also now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And so we have Paul kind of wrapping it all up. This is what he's talking about. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Where we are partakers together with Israel. We are receiving the same life that they are. But we are on a different schedule. Remember last week I talked about Israel. Today is like a big timer. And it's set. And God knows that time when it's ticking down to the end. He knows that. The Father knows it. 
Jesus said, not even the Son knows it. And so it'll be at that time when it goes, bing, that the Father will say to the Son, Son, go get your bride. Go get your bride. The time is ready. And that's what we're waiting for. That timer is tick, 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 tick. We don't know when it comes to the end. But God is preparing a time for us to be joined perfectly together. Israel is an enemy of the gospel. But our beloved, why? Because of the faith of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable by the fact that when he wants to bless, he will bless and he will call. The focus of the gospel has basically been on the Gentiles these past 2,000 years by God's mercy and grace. And it's soon coming to an end. And now God is beginning to focus on the church and Israel by his mercy. We praise God for that. Father, I thank you for what you have taught us and what you have spoken through this chapter. I pray that every one of us will take this, think about it, pray about it, reread it, and understand the times that we're living in. That we not take for granted the heritage that we have in Israel. That we know that we are just as faithless as they. But we come under your mercy and your grace. And we thank you for the saving name of Yeshua and for what he has given us. Of his word, of his command, of his love and his mercy extended to us. So unworthy. We thank you. We bless you. There's some verses left to read. I call it Paul's exaltation. And he ends this chapter, and I can imagine that Paul is saying this. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? And who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. That's chapter 11. God has blessed us. Dwell on it. Think about it this week.